Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, go to, with me to Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to begin reading from verse 34. Matthew 22 and verse 34. If you have it, say amen. amen. Verse 34 says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And then Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So what we see here is a lawyer, actually literally the word lawyer means an expert of the Mosaic law. And so he was plotting with the Pharisees to try to test Jesus. And so he asked Jesus a question, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? And so Jesus began to ask, uh, tell him. And he said that the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he goes on to saying this is the first and greatest commandment. Now, Jesus could have stopped there because he answered the question. But he went and had added to that and said, the second is like it, which is love your neighbor as yourself. Now, one of the things I want you to see here is this. When, when Jesus told the, the lawyer that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart and all your soul, what he was simply telling him is that the greatest thing that you can do, the most important thing you can do in life, is to love God. But then the second most important thing to do is to love others. As a matter of fact, in Mark chapter 12 and verse 31, Jesus says in reference to these two commandments, that, and this is what he says, there is no other commandment greater than these. So we understand that these two commandments are considered to be the greatest and most important commandment in the Bible. As a matter of fact, in verse 40, it says that these commandments, or I should say the whole entire Old Testament, is hung on this, these two commandments, or depends on these two commandments. So I want you to go to Romans chapter 13, because tonight I want to focus on the second greatest commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And tonight we're going to look at as to why it's so important that this commandment is so great. We're also going to learn how we're called to obey this commandment of love. Then we're going to look at what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself. And then finally, we're going to learn how to love your neighbor. So in Romans chapter 13, and in verse 8, says this, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, let me stop there. To owe something to someone is to be obligated to that person. It's to be bound to that person. And what Paul is saying is that we are not to owe anything to anyone. We are not to be under any obligation. 
We are not to be bound or indebted to anyone except we are to be bound, we are to be obligated, and we are to be indebted when it comes to loving someone else. You could say that love is a debt which can never be settled. As long as there's breath in our lives, there'll always be an opportunity to love. And so you'll never be able to settle that debt because God expects us to always be able to experience and to extend that love. And then in verse 9, he goes on to list several commandments. He says, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, all, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in verse 10 says, love does not harm or does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Twice, Paul says that love is the fulfillment of the law. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that if you love your neighbor, then you're not going to do any harm. You're not going to kill your neighbor. You're not going to steal from your neighbor. You're not going to covet your neighbor. You're not going to lie about your neighbor. Because you love him. And if you love him, then you fulfill or met all the requirements of the law. Go to John chapter 13. What Paul simply was implying is that all the law requires is that we love one another. John chapter 13. Many of us know, you know, we all know that designer clothes have certain logos or, or trademarks that identify what they are, who they are, or who they're made by. <coughs> Excuse me. They all have these trademarks that make them very visible and, and undef- uh, identifiable. Excuse me. <clears throat> but they have logos that, that are of many different kinds that even if you don't read their names, the logo, the trademark, tells us who, was, who the, 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 uh, whatever it is that's designed, it was made by. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if you look at Nike, you know who made it. If you have a suit, how many of you own a Joseph Aboot suit? Okay, I guess nobody does. <laughs> okay, forget I even asked that question. <laughs> but my point here is this. Every designer has a certain trademark that identifies who made it. The God, in the same way, also established a mark, or a trademark, if you will. A mark that every Christian should be known by. And that trademark is love. Love is the trademark for every Christian. Amen? Amen. Look at John chapter 13, beginning in verse 34. It says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Look at verse 35. By this, by what? By loving one another, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So in, a way, in the same way where uh, a doctor, you can tell a doctor when he walks into a room because he's wearing his white coat and a stethoscope around his neck. So you know automatically he's a doctor. 
In the same way that you can know a police officer because of what he's wearing. You know, his, his, his uniform, his badge, and his gun. In the same way you can tell a, a judge because of his black robe. These are things that identify who they are. When people see us, love should identify who we really are. If they see it. In John 13 and verse 35, in the message translation, it says this. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love that you have for each other. Not hear the love that you have for each other, but see the love that you have for one another. And so Jesus says in verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, without this trademark of love, no one's going to know who you are. Loving one another is what makes us visible and identifiable with the Lord Jesus Christ. Without that, no one will know who we are. No one can identify that we belong to Christ. It doesn't become very clear to others who we are because they don't see the trademark in our lives. But the only way that they're going to know it is by seeing the love. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. And let's take a look at this trademark of God. Ephesians chapter 3. This trademark of God is what the Bible says calls agape love. And I'm sure that Pastor John has been teaching on that the last few Sundays. And it's the highest form of love. It's a God kind of love. As a matter of fact, the best example of agape love is found in John 3.16. And again, this is Pastor John's theme uh, scripture for the last few Sundays. And, And of course it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But that phrase... For God so loved the world, that word love is the Greek word love. Now, I want to read to you a portion of Paul's prayer over here in Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 17. This is what it says, That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, agape, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is, what is the width and length and depth and height. To know the love, agape, of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, what I want you to notice here, how agape love has height, has length, has width, and has depth. But what I also want you to understand, that there is no limit or boundaries to how far, how wide, how deep, and how long his love is. As a matter of fact, agape love is so wide, so deep, so high, and so long that it's able to embrace the entire world. This love can extend so far that it can love someone who doesn't deserve to be loved. This love can extend so high That it can love someone who's not worthy of the love. This love that we're talking about, this agape love, extends so deep that it can love someone who's rejected his love. And this love 
can extend so high, so wide, that it is compelled to, to sacrifice itself even for its enemies. That's how powerful this agape love is. It reminds me of, of what Jesus says in, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, where it says, but God showed his great love for us that by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. It was God's love that moved him to action, not something that was forced upon him to do. As a matter of fact, it also reminds me of the day when, when Jesus was hung on a cross in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, where he hung there in complete agony and pain and suffering and almost close to death. Yet agape love is always constant. And even though he was hanging on a cross close to death, yet he was able to muster enough strength to utter a prayer for the very people that hung him on the cross and ask for forgiveness. And what I love about that is and I'm picturing Jesus on the cross and, you know, knowing that he was betrayed, knowing that he was beaten and mistreated and hanging up there, but yet that never changed his love for them. It never was deterred, but it still remained strong and constant. That's the agape love we're talking about. And family, this is precisely the kind of love that must exist between us. Amen. Are you hearing me? Yes, sir. This is the kind of love that should exist between all of God's people. This is what makes the second commandment so great and so important to the believer. Now go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, every one of us has a calling in our lives. And although our callings are different, because in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about how we're all members of the same body and how every member has a different function. And so, but there is one calling that we all share, a calling that we all have, and that calling is a call to love. And I would do you a disservice if I don't tell you that to walk this love is going to challenge us. As a matter of fact, it's going to challenge you to the point where it's going to cause you to want to step out out of your close-knit circle of loved ones. It's going to cause you or challenge you to step out of your, your comfortable routine so that you might be able to see life and people in the eyes of God. In other words, we're to see everyone around that is around us the way God sees them and then to love them the same way that God loves them. But you're never going to do that if you're not willing to step out of your circle of love and your, your little tight-knit circle and, and your little comfortable routine. Love will stretch us. And you know, I, and I know love is to love everyone, whether friend or foe. But tonight I want to focus on the body of Christ. But unfortunately, even in the body of Christ, there are some people that are just are difficult to love. <laughs> I'll just put it out like that. There are just some unfriendly, unloving, or unlovable Christians. But yet, the Bible tells us that we are to love. And see, that's where the challenge is. 
where to stretch us out to be able to love somebody that you don't necessarily want to love. Maybe from a distance, but you know. But this is our calling. This is what we're all called to do. In 1 Peter chapter 3, in verse 8 says this, Finally, all of you, that's all of us, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted and courteous. Not returning evil for evil. Now keep in mind, he's talking to the church. Or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. I like what the Amplified Version says in 1 Peter 3.8. It says, finally, all of you should be of the one and same mind, united in spirit, sympathizing with one another, loving each other as brethren of one household. It's like being a family under one roof. And that's what we all are. A family under the household of God. And it says, compassionate and courteous, tender-hearted and humble. Now, the word compassion in verse 8 in the Greek is the word sympathis. It's where we get the word sympathy from. And this is a Greek word that is used uh, quite often. Uh, and it, uh, as a matter of fact, it's not a, it, this is the only place that this particular word is used in the entire New Testament. But what that word literally means is to have a fellow feeling. Now, what exactly does that mean? Having a fellow feeling. It simply means entering into one another's feelings. In other words, it's being able to feel what you feel as though it was my own. Let me give you an example. Paul says in Romans 12, 15, you don't need to turn there, but he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with them who weep. Let me give you another example. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I've often used this analogy. You know how sometimes we stub our toes or maybe bang our knees or, or maybe hit our, our funny bone. How many of you have hit your funny bone before? And so you know what that feels like. But you know, even though the pain is isolated in one particular area of your body, yet the rest of the body is affected by it. Right? The rest of the body reacts to it. As a matter of fact, the rest of the body experiences the pain that you're feeling, even though it's in one particular isolated area. But look what Paul says. And if one member suffers, what? All the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, then all members rejoice with it. So to have a fellow feeling means to, to be able to feel each other's pain, feel each other's sorrow, and feel each other's joy as if it was our own feelings. We are all called to have a fellow feeling with one another. Being able to feel what you feel. You know the expression, I feel you. I feel you. But literally it means actually feeling what you're feeling. And I'm sure you've all experienced that when you had a friend or a relative that's, that's either going through some stuff, uh, that are, they're sad, and, and you feel their pain. Sometimes to the point that it makes you want to feel sorrow. Sometimes you want to cry with them. 
Sometimes we want to rejoice with them. But that's what it means to have a fellow feeling. That's what the word compassion means. And that's what we need to have with one another. Having a fellow feeling. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. We are all called to feel what each other feels as though it was our own feelings. Ephesians chapter 5. Jesus left us a standard by the way we should live as far as loving one another. And in verse 1 says this. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Now, let me stop there. <clears throat> the, the chapter starts out with the word therefore, which means that it connects to the previous chapter. And in Ephesians chapter 4, in the very last verse of chapter 4, the previous chapter, in verse 32, says this. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Then the next chapter in verse 1 says, therefore, be imitators of God. So if God is quick to forgive, then we will imitate him and be quick to forgive others. As God is tenderhearted towards others, then as we imitate him, therefore we also have to be tenderhearted with others. As he is quick to, to, um, to do good for others, we imitate him and also be willing to do good for others. As he hears the cries of those who are in sorrow or seeking mercy, as we imitate him, we are also to hear the cries of those who are seeking mercy from us. You ever hear the... Um, the saying that the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree in reference to a child being similar to the parent, having the same habits and characteristics and uh, certain tendencies. The Bible says that we are to be imitators of God as dear children. In other words, we also need to be like him, having the similar characteristics in nature. So when someone seeks mercy from you, you extend that mercy because you're imitating God, because you know that's what God does. You know, it's interesting because you have Christians who are, uh, who are angry, bitter, who, who, are, who, just, who are cynical. But if they ask themselves this question, how does God treat me? That would eliminate the anger, the cynicism, the bitterness, because when they come to realize, well, wait a minute, God treats me so good. So what, what do I have to be angry about? What do I have to be cynical about? What do I have to be bitter about? It's not how God treats me. How many of you know have been around bitter Christians? All right, let's not talk about that. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, meaning as children who follow the example of a father. And the same should be said about us. Ephesians 5, 1, look at verse 2. And walk in love, how? As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us in offering and a sacrifice to God 
for a sweet-smelling aroma. There's a standard by which he left us. That is how we're to walk in love. And as I told you before, it's going to challenge you. It's going to challenge you to step out of your little close-knit little circle. But this is what we're called to do. To be willing to sacrifice for one another. And you don't have to show, uh, I don't want to see the show of hands, but how many of us are ready to do that? How many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, are willing to do that? All right, we've got one person, praise the Lord. You have five dollars you want to? No, never mind. Go to 1 John chapter 3. Our love should, for each other should be such that we would be willing to do the same thing as Christ did for others. In 1 John 3, verse 16 says this, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. This is the Lord's standard for loving one another. Are you up for it? Are you willing to step out of your comfort zone? Are you willing to step out of your comfortable routine? Are you willing to step out of your close-knit family of, of loved ones and be willing to love others? It's easy to love your husband and your wife and your children and your cousins and your aunt and uncle and grandparents. But when you're being called to love somebody outside of your family circle, are you ready to do that? Go to Romans chapter 12. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Matthew 22 and verse 39 says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do we really know what it actually means to love our neighbors as ourselves? And let me ask another question. Could it be that we actually love our neighbors differently than we love ourselves? Well, what does that mean? Well, let me ask you this question. How many of you love yourselves? And I don't mean that in a prideful way. And I don't mean that in a conceited way. But generally, how, how, how many of you love yourself? I love myself even if you don't love me. So if you love yourself, you wouldn't do any harm to yourself, would you? Would you get up in the morning and slap yourself around? Would you pull your hair and yank your hair? Would you kick yourself and hurt yourself? Would you deceive yourself? Would you shortchange yourself? No, you wouldn't do that. Why? Because you love yourself. So you want to take care of yourself. You know, we live in a, a very self-centered world where it's all about me. And, you know, there is some selfishness in us too that, you know, there's some tendency to be selfish. But, you know, I, I mean, I want to take care of me because I love me. And I, again, I'm not being conceited or anything like that, but but because I won't do no harm for myself. So if we love ourselves, then, then we need to be able to do the same for others. Just as we take care of ourselves, then we need to be willing to take care of others. So that's what it means to love someone as ourselves, to treat others the way you want to be treated yourself or the way you want to treat yourself. So Romans 12 and verse 9 says, says this, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that 
which is good. Now that word dissimulation comes from the Greek word which describes that something that is pretended. Something that is fake. Something that is phony. The King James Version, I mean the New King James Version says, Let love be without hypocrisy. And that was, that's what hypocrisy is. It's pretending to be somebody you're not. I like what the, what the New Living Translation says in Romans 12, 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. So hypocrisy is simply this. When someone tries to make the outside look better than the inside. I'll show you what I mean. And keep in mind that word hypocrisy is a very popular word in, in the Greek world because it's used in reference to an actor who wears many different masks to portray the emotion of the character. And what Paul is simply saying here, what Paul's point here is this, that our love for one another should be genuine, should be sincere, should be real. In other words, Christians don't wear masks. But unfortunately, there are believers that do. There are many who put on what looks like a loving behavior on the outside that does not really signify what they really are on the inside. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 3, Paul says this, And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, then it profits me nothing. So you can do some remarkable external acts of sacrifice and have no love. And that's what the hypocrisy is. It's about trying to make what's on the outside better than what's on the inside. Go to Matthew chapter 15. If there's anyone who hates hypocrisy more than ever, it's Christ Jesus. Because in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 7, this is what Jesus says <coughs> to a group of Pharisees. This is what he says. He says, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You sound good, you look good, but on the inside, it's far different than what I see on the outside. It's trying to make the outside look better than the inside. So here we see Jesus painting an ugly picture of hypocrisy. It's, it's as a person being uh, a person who deliberately gives a certain impression, even though he knows the impression that he's given is not sincere. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 27, Jesus once again confronts a group of Pharisees and he says this, Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, listen to this, for you are like whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. <coughs> In other words, Jesus exposed them for who they really are. They look good on the outside, putting on a good act, wearing a mask. But on the inside, they were pretending because they weren't really who they appeared to be. 
They were pretenders. They were phonies. They were fake. And Jesus exposed that. So Romans 12, 9 tells us that we are to love genuinely and let our loves be sincere. In other words, when you tell somebody that you're going to do something, do it. When you say you're going to pray for someone, do it. You know, we get caught up with saying, you know, with the Christianese language, saying all the right things. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pray for you as, as something that we commonly say as part of our vocabulary. But sometimes we say it and not really do it. And even though we, we mean well, but we're not really being sincere if we're just going to say it and not do it. Amen. Amen. In other words, don't just talk it, walk it. Go to 1 John chapter 3. Now we know that love can be a noun and it can be a verb. But this love that I'm talking about is a verb. It's an action word that indicates that there's something being done. Something is about to happen. For example, if we love someone, we demonstrate that love by going out and doing things with that person, right? When you love someone, you spend time with them. When you love someone, you, you talk to them and have conversations with them. When you love someone, you, you, you help each other out. You're always there for each other. When you love someone, you have each other's back. When you love someone, you do things with them and you do things for them. When you love somebody, you, you do whatever you need to do to show that you love them and you value them. Right? Isn't that what we do when we love somebody? In other words, we show our love by our actions. As I said before in John 13 and verse 35, I said, this is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love that you have for one another. In other words, we don't just talk it, we walk it. In 1 John 3 and verse 18, it says this, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. The true test of love is not by what you say, it's by what you do. But love demonstrates a willingness to want to love someone and show value to that person. In the New Living Translation, 1 John uh, chapter 3, and verse 18 says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Go to Luke chapter 10. Loving our neighbors means demonstrating our love and our actions for, uh, by our actions for this individual. That our love must be sincere and genuine and real. And that's just not words. In Luke chapter 10, this is probably one of my favorite passages of scripture in the Bible. How do you love your neighbor? Here we see another story in verse 25 where another lawyer stood up and tested Jesus and tried to tempt him. We pick up in verse 25 where it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, and he said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among thieves who stripped of his, of his clothing and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest, who was a Jew, came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, who also is a Jew, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denaries, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Now, let's take a look at the priest and the Levite. Both were Jews. And understand, they, they know the law of Moses. They were trained in the laws of Moses. And as Levites, as well as priests, part of their duty is to offer up sacrifices in the temple. Also present incense. incense. Also to conduct services in the morning and the evening in the temple. And again, let me remind you that they know and understand the law. But the scripture says that as they saw this man who was beaten and wounded, they saw him and passed by him, completely disregarding the second greatest commandment in the law of Moses. But yet here comes a Samaritan who saw the man. And let me just say this. Whenever you have an opportunity to show love, sometimes opportunity will interrupt your life in the most inconvenient moment. A couple of weeks ago, I had just come home from work. Actually, I stopped by to pay a bill before going home. And uh, as I stepped out of the building, there was two gentlemen who came to me and said, Hey, by the way, uh, you have some change? Me and my brother, we haven't eaten. Uh, now, normally, I, I don't give money to, to anyone who asks, but, but some, I, I, I had a sense in here that they were being sincere. So, I mean, I had a pocket full of change, and I gave them everything I had. Uh, and again, I wasn't expecting it. I, I was just minding my own business, and then I was, as I got in the car, as a matter of fact, I was watching them as they were walking away, and I noticed that they stopped in another car asking for money. But, and after that, I saw them going into McDonald's. So I knew that they were being sincere. But as I got in the car, it was almost as an afterthought. And I realized, you know, I could have done more for that person. You know, and it really bothered me because I knew that I had the, the means to be able to go above and beyond and to say, you know what, let's, let's, let me go buy you a meal, both you and your brother. Let's go to McDonald's and I'll buy you a meal. But I didn't do that. I mean, I gave him some change. 
Because that's what he asked for. But love sometimes goes beyond what you ask. And that's what the Samaritan uh, did. He was on his way somewhere, but opportunity interrupted him. And compassion at that point took over and sort of led him to that individual. And this is what I want you to see. This is what he did. Not only was he moved by compassion towards this stranger, but he took the time from his schedule. Stopped what he was doing, forgot about where he was going, because the only thing that mattered was that individual at that moment. And then he placed all of his attention to take care of him. Then what he did was he put him on his animal or his donkey and then took him to an inn to continue caring for him at his own expense. Then he stayed with the stranger overnight. He didn't just leave him there and just left. He stayed overnight with him to further care for him. Then the next day, the Bible says he departed. But before he did, what he did was he included others to continue caring for that person at his own expense. That Samaritan invested his time, his money, and his provision for a complete total stranger. Interrupting his journey, interrupting his schedule. But it didn't matter to him because his focus, his compassion was towards that individual. You talk about meeting the requirements of the second commandment. This is what the Samaritan did. And then after he told the story, in verse 36, Jesus says, So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer said, He who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus says, Go and do likewise. In other words, show the same kindness and compassion to all. In other words, don't talk it, walk it. Go to James chapter 2. How do we love our neighbors? And listening and reading the Samaritan, that's one of the perfect examples of how we should act towards one another. And always seizing the opportunity. In James chapter 2, in verse 15, it says this. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed to the body, what does it profit? You know, you offer blessings, you offer them peace, and you say, well, I'll pray for you. But then they walk away and you have the means to be able to help that individual. Proverbs 3.28 says this. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give when you have it with you. Whenever you have an opportunity to fulfill the requirements of the law, you should do that. And it may come in different forms, in different times, in most inconvenient ways. But always seek and seize an opportunity because sometimes God will provide that opportunity. Go to Matthew chapter 22 once again. Beginning verse 36. 
which is what we read in the beginning. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when Jesus quoted that verse, he was actually quoting out of Leviticus chapter 19. Now, why don't you go there with me real quick? Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 9. <clears throat> and I'm going to read this to you from the New Living Translation. So bear with me because there's quite a few verses. It says, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields. And do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with you, with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. It's amazing how Jesus chose that particular verse. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And quoted from out of Leviticus. Look at what else it says in verse 11. Do not steal, do not deceive or cheat one another. Do not bring shame on the name of your God by using it to swear falsely, I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not make your hired workers wait until the next day to receive their pay. Do not insult the deaf or cause them the blind to stumble. You must fear your God, I am the Lord. Do not twist justice in legal matters by favoring the poor or being partial to the rich and powerful. Always judge people fairly. Do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. Do not stand idly by when your neighbor's life is threatened. I am the Lord. Do not nurse hatred to, in your heart for any other of your relatives. Confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. And do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. What do you suppose Jesus is trying to say here? Simply saying, listen, if you're going to love somebody, love them by your actions. Be willing to help the poor. Be willing to help somebody who's in need. Listen, every one of us has been gifted. The Bible says that we're all members of the same body, having different functions or having different uh, graces. But use that grace to benefit the body. That's the whole purpose of it. So if there's someone in need, be willing to be there for that individual. Some of you are gifted in, in repairing. We have single moms. We have elderlies. We have shut-ins that, that don't have a man around their house to do the repairs. Be, make yourself available and help those individuals. If you know somebody that's struggling uh, with food or, or, or paying a bill, be there. You know, it's very easy. You know, I, I think back of the Samaritan, uh, the, the story of the Samaritan and how the Levites and, and the Levite and the priest who actually saw them, the, the man that was that was beaten and then walked by them. And I often wonder what they were thinking that during that time. They walked by, they were on their way to church, ready to do ministry. And they see this man and they think, Wow, this guy's pretty beaten up pretty bad. But that's not my call. That's not my ministry. And of course, I'm just speculating, but I'm wondering, I mean, what, what goes through one's mind? What's also simple is that when, when somebody runs into cross, somebody who's, who's, who's struggling, I say, oh, 
send them to the pastor. They'll take care of it. Like we have all the answers in the world. If it is within your power or within your ability to help, do like what the Samaritan did and help that individual. It's called loving your neighbor. I'm sure that many of us struggle or have struggled trying to love our neighbor because our neighbor takes on many forms. And it's easy to say, I'm going to love my neighbor until you've been challenged. Until you run across somebody that you don't want to love. But as I said before, sometimes the call to love interrupts our lives. In moments of most inconvenience. But if you understand that the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And knowing that when you love your neighbor, you fulfilled the entire law. You've met all the requirements of the law. And the Bible says, and then you will inherit blessings from the Lord. Oh, my Lord, I'm running out of time here. Let me close with this. Go to Isaiah chapter 58. Beginning in verse 1 says this. Shout with the voice of trumpet blast. Shout aloud. I'm reading this from the New Living Translation. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted, they said, before you. Why aren't you impressed, Lord? We have been very hard on ourselves, humbling ourselves, and you don't even notice it, Lord. And the Lord says, I will tell you why. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds, bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? Verse 6, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Verse 7, share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. (laughs) You might want to pray for that last one. So you see, fasting can be beneficial spiritually and physically, but at best, it's only really helping you. But what God is saying here is that fasting should go beyond just your spiritual growth for your own personal benefit. 
but it should go by acts of kindness, reaching out and helping others, providing justice, kindness, mercy, forgiveness, and generosity. Sometimes we get caught up with religion. And listen to me. God is not calling us to be religious. He's calling us to be relational. That's why the second commandment is the second greatest commandment in the Bible. Because when we begin to love each other, imagine the the body of Christ being knit together in love. Man, we would be a powerful force. There'd be no strife. There'd be no contention. There'd be no slandering or gossiping. We all would be in one accord. And boy, I tell you, God can use a church that is united like that. So tonight, I encourage you to love your neighbor as you would love yourself. And know that when you do that, You're fulfilling the entire law. And not only that, but you're also accruing benefits and blessings in your life. Seize the opportunity and look at your fellow man like you've never seen before. Look at them the way God sees them and then love them the way God loves them. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you, Father God, for speaking to us clearly and plainly. We thank you, Father, for stirring up our spirits, Father, to, to obey your word, Lord God, and to, to do the things that you called us to do. Father, we thank you for the, for the ability to, to love one another as Christ loved us. Father, your word says that, that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. So, Lord, we know that we have the ability to do it. And so, Father, we thank you for coming, for for joining us together, Lord God, and walking together so that we can walk in love with one another. And, Lord, that we may be at peace with one another and be able to be available to help and be a blessing to each other. So, Father, we thank you for the instructions of your word. And, Lord, we just give you glory and honor and praise for what that word will do in us. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.